All right, so um, continuing our series in Judges, and um, tonight we'll be reading from uh, Judges 18 if you want to follow along. In those days, Israel had no king. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites were seeking a place of their own where they might settle because they had not yet come into an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. So the Danites sent five of their leading men from Zorah and Eshtael to spy out the land and explore it. These men represented all the Danites. They told them, go explore the land. So they entered the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah, where they spent the night. When they were near Micah's house, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. So they turned in there and asked him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? Why are you here? He told them what Micah had done for him and said, He has hired me and I am his priest. Then they said to him, Please inquire of God to learn whether our journey will be successful. The priest answered them, Go in peace. Your journey has the Lord's approval. So the five men left and came to Laish, where they saw that the people were living in safety, like the Sidonians, at peace and secure. And since their land lacked nothing, they were prosperous. Also, they lived a long way from the Sidonians and had no relationship with anyone else. When they returned to Zorah and Eshtael, their fellow Danites asked them, How did you find things? They answered, Come on, let's attack them. We have seen the land and it is very good. Aren't you going to do something? Don't hesitate to go there and take it over. When you get there, you will find an unsuspecting people and a spacious land that God has put into your hands, a land that lacks nothing whatsoever. Then 600 men of the Danites, armed for battle, set out from Zorah and Eshtael. On their way, they set up camp near Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. This is why the place west of Kiriath-Jerim is called Mahanaban to this day. From there, they went on to the hill country of Ephraim and came to Micah's house. Then the five men who had spied out the land of Laish said to their fellow Danites, Do you know that one of these houses has an ephod, some household gods and an image overlaid with silver? Now you know what to do. So they turned in there and went to the house of the young Levite at Micah's place and greeted him. The 600 Danites armed for battle stood at the entrance of the gate. The five men had spied out the land, went inside, and took the idol, the ephod, and the household gods, while the priest and the 600 armed men stood at the entrance of the gate. When the five men went into Micah's house and took the idol, the ephod, and the household gods, the priest said to them, What are you doing? They answered him, Be quiet, don't say a word. Come with us and be our father and priest. 
Isn't it better that you serve a tribe and clan in Israel as priest rather than just one man's household? The priest was very pleased. He took the ephod, the household gods, and the idol and went along with the people. Putting their little children, their livestock, and their possessions in front of them, they turned away and left. When they had gone some distance from Micah's house, the men who lived near Micah were called together and overtook the Danites. As they shouted after them, the Danites turned and said to Micah, What's the matter with you that you called out your men to fight? He replied, You took the gods I made and my priests and went away. What else do I have? How can you ask, what's the matter with you? The Danites answered, Don't argue with us or some of the men may get angry and attack you, and you and your family will lose your lives. So the Danites went their way, and Micah, seeing that they were too strong for him, turned around and went back home. Then they took what Micah had made and his priests and went on to Laish, against the people at peace and secure. They attacked them with their sword and burned down their city. There was no one to rescue them because they lived a long way from Sidon and had no relationship with anyone else. The city was in a valley near Beth Rehob. The Danites rebuilt the city and settled there. They named it Dan after their ancestor Dan, who was born to Israel, though the city used to be called Laish. There the Danites set up for themselves the idol, and Jonathan, son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests for the tribe of Dan until the time of the captivity of the land. They continued to use the idol Micah had made all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. Thanks. If you've got your uh, Bibles or on your paper copy or on your um, on your phones or whatever, you might want to turn up to Judges chapter 17 and 18. Um, for those uh, who I don't know, my name's Andrew. Uh, for the last little while, you would have found me on Sunday morning sitting around my kitchen bench uh, with a reasonable breakfast, but I'm really looking forward to tomorrow morning with our fantastic breakfast. Usually, uh, my wife Kylie and I uh, attend a congregation on Sunday morning. So I know many of you, but uh, for those that I don't know, um, it's Great to be back in, in person. Uh, let, me, let me pray as we come to God's word together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, your word is a lamp to our feet, a guide to our lives, and there is much treasure to behold if we uh, look at it carefully, guided by your spirit. So we pray that by your spirit you would um, soften our hearts uh, and make us willing uh, to not only see but obey what we find there. Father, help us not to stand in judgment of those who have gone before us, but as we see things that we find strange or unusual or we don't understand why on earth they did that, help that to be an opportunity where we question ourselves uh, and ask, how might, how might we be doing the same sort of thing? Gracious Heavenly Father, we look to you and to your Son, Jesus, to be our guide and by his Spirit to transform us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we've been working through uh, Judges and um, we come at the end of uh, Judges to a couple of uh, passages that um, really focus in on individuals and, and sort of rather than the big picture of the, the cycle that we've seen there of, um, you know, something going wrong with the whole nation, the people crying out, God raising up a judge, deliverance coming, something going wrong with the whole nation, that cycle that we've seen. 
Now we sort of focus in on a, a few kind of moments and we, in ch at chapter 17, we're going to uh, look at um, Micah in his house, which we just heard about in the Bible reading, and then we're going to think about um, chapter 18 as well. The thing that you notice in these two chapters, uh, and I'll point this out as we go through, is that things are really wrong in the land of Israel. And you can tell that because in these two chapters, you see at least seven of the Ten Commandments being broken. And in the chapter, next chapter along, chapter 19, you see um, murder and adultery happening. So that's nine. The only one that's not mentioned is the Sabbath. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that's probably not going right either. Um, so we come to chapter 17. As I said, if you've got your Bible open there, you might want to uh, turn it up. Uh, chapter 17. And we meet uh, this man called Micah. Now, there was a man called Micah and he lived in the hill country of Ephraim. Now, the hill country of Ephraim is in the sort of the middle of Israel. It's just above Judah. So think of Jerusalem. It's just a bit above uh, that. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. Things don't start well. Stealing from your mum is not a good thing to do. Just make that clear. There's commandment number one, thou shalt not steal. Actually, it's, come on, it's, it's the second and the first and second. Honour your mother and father that things may go well for you in the land. Remember, they've just come into the land and Micah here is sort of completely turned away from the way that God said, here is the way that things are going to go well for you. And his mother said to his son, uh, uh, the Lord bless you, my son. Now, uh, Micah sort of gets his, his way in a sense. His mum turns back to him. He thought he was going to be in the doghouse, sort of grounded for a year or whatever, but that doesn't happen. In fact, his mother goes on and says, when he returned the 1,100 of shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I will solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord uh, for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you. So after he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels, of silver and gave it to the silversmith who used it to make an idol and it was put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine, quite literally uh, a house of gods and, and he made an ephod which you hear about in other places, it could be a, a garment for a priest or other sort of religious objects and some household gods and installed one of them, uh, installed one of his sons as priest. So if you're going to have a shrine and some idols you need a priest some were sitting around doing not much at all. Hey, you want to become a priest? That's not how it usually worked in Israel, by the way. In those days, uh, Israel in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did, saw it, did as they saw fit. You see, right here we have a couple of other commandments broken as well. The first and the second commandment: um, you should not uh, worship any other god but me. But what is Micah doing? Well, he's going to be worshiping an idol. There's the second commandment. Don't make for yourself a graven image of anything that God has created. Don't bow down and worship them. But it's, it's more than that, actually. There's another commandment that's broken here as well. There's a commandment about bearing false witness. Do not bear false witness. Well, what does his mum do? His mum, so pleased that her money has been returned, uh, commits it on oath to be used uh, for, um, for, for worshipping God. Now, we've already established that's not real worship, but she said... Take all my money and we'll make an idol. What does she do? Not 1,100 shekels, but 200. So she said, hey, we're going we're gonna to worship God together. Let's use all our money to do that. And then she kind of relinquished. So she uh, relents on her, her promise. There's a lot going on in these couple of chapters. 
things are not good in Israel. Not just at the macro level with the, the big leaders and the politics and all that kind of stuff, but at the micro level in the lives of the Israelites. Just in these couple of verses, commandments being broken everywhere. And more than that, doing so and thinking that they're worshipping God at the same time. And we come to that little verse um, that we just read, which was here again in, at the beginning of 18. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Now, this story goes on, and, um, you know, Micah's son is the, the, the priest, but a, but, a, but a real Levite, a real priest, shows up on the scene. He's looking for somewhere to live, and Micah goes, happy days. He does what most middle-class Sydney people do. He's sort of... Um, you know, doing the reno and the amenities. I've got a real priest now. So he says to the real priest, come on in, I'll pay you. You can be my priest. We've got a shrine, we've got an idol, we can worship God, I've got a priest. Things are going to go really well for me. He actually says that at the end of uh, chapter 17. Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since a Levite has come to be my priest. He actually thinks that he's worshipping God in such a way that things are going to go well for him. Now, just think about this for a little while. He, he's, not, um, he, he's not actually thinking that he's turning away from God. He's actually thinking he's doing the right thing. He's got all the religious language. He's got a priest. He's, he's got a little shrine set up. He actually thinks that this will please God. This will please God. And things are going well for him. And in those days, Israel had no king. And everybody did as they saw fit in their own eyes. That, that statement, though, it's, it's not really a statement about the sort of the rampant individualism that you see in Micah. It's a statement that longs for something else. See, Israel will long for a king after God's own heart. Israel will long for a king who can put to bed this nonsense that's going on here in Micah's house. And say, no. Look to the law of God. Look to the word of God. If you want to worship God, you need to worship God like he said to worship him. And at the moment, that means going to Shiloh, where the tabernacle is. That's where the Levites had to go if they wanted to worship God. That's where Micah needed to go if he wanted to worship God. It might have been inconvenient, but setting up an idol in your house is not going to cut the mustard. You see, God isn't just an abstract thought here. God is a person. And if the person says, if you want to love me, you want to worship me, here's how you do it, and then you go off and say, well, actually, that's a bit inconvenient. It doesn't really fit with my lifestyle. It doesn't really fit with, you know, I think I'll do it a different way. That's okay with you? Is that okay? It'd be like my wife, Kylie. Uh, I know her pretty well. We've been married 30 years. I know what she likes and what she doesn't like. And I say, I want to love you, darling. And so I'm going to do exactly the opposite thing to what I know you like. It just doesn't make sense. Well, how much more with God? Things are not going well in Israel. There is no king. And people are doing just as they see fit. Now, moving on to chapter 18, that long reading, thank you, um, that we had. Um, we, we move to a different scene, but the two, the two stories kind of connect, don't they? Because the Danites end up at Micah's house. But the thing you've got to uh, see here is this story starts the same way. So although it might be about a tribe rather than an individual, the same kind of question arises. What is it about the longing for the king to come 
that, that kind of puts this into context. So we, we, we read here that the, the Danites were searching for a, 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 a place to call their own. Now you might think, oh, well, that's pretty rough, you know, all the promise, well, the, the, the people of God moved into the promised land and God didn't need a lot, a place for everybody to live. Why are the Danites not got a place to live? Well, we know the answer to this because right at the beginning of Judges in chapter 34, we read this. The Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the plain. You see, it says there that the, the Amorites, the people who were in the place that the Danites were allotted, the place that God said, this is your country for you to live in. The Danites hadn't actually done what God said to do. God had made a promise to them and he said, go and take the land that I've promised you. And for whatever reason, they haven't done it. They've stayed up in the hill country and now they're grizzling. Because if you want to grow crops, rocky hills are not the place to do it. The Amorites who are down on the plains where you want to, you know, where you can grow the wheat and the other things, they're still there. So the, the Danites say, I've got an idea. Let's look for somewhere else. I know that God's promised that bit of land to me, but let's look for somewhere else. Surely there's an easier way to get what we want than following the word of God, than following the command that comes with a promise. Surely we can do it our own way. That's what's going on here. So the, the Danites, um, we read in verse 2, they uh, sent out some spies from where they are um, to go and find some land for them to take. Now, where they're sitting, um, over on the coast, there's Philistines. Just below them, there's uh, Judah. So that's all taken. So they head south from where they are. And, and almost inevitably, they head through Ephraim and they bump into Micah and his house. Um, so uh, they, they, they bump into Micah and he's got his little shrine set up and his idol and his sort of live-in priest and um, they, someone recognises the, the priest, the Levite and so they inquire of God whether or not this mission is going to go well. And you think, oh, that, that sounds pretty religious, it sounds pretty good. There's another commandment broken right there from what the priest says. Remember, this priest is no priest at all. He's not worshipping God and he's not performing the duties that the Levites were called to do. That doesn't happen in Micah's house. That happens at Shiloh. So when the priest says, I've inquired of God and the Lord says, it's all good. Your journey is, has got God's approval. He is bearing false witness. Let me be clear. He is bearing false witness. Another commandment. gone. And we know that's true because of what happens at the end of the story. And we'll come back to that. So um, they head off and, and, and spy out the land. They go sort of further south into Israel and uh, they come to this place called Laish. Um, it's just sort of in, in Israel now, it's sort of up, up past the Sea of Galilee and you've got the Golan Heights on, on the um, eastern side and Syria just over the hill, basically. Um, and, and they spy out this place. And, um, and they say this, uh, uh, they, they, they come back and report what they've found and they come back and report two juicy pieces of information to the other Danites. They say, we found a city called Laish and it's pretty tasty. Um, it's rich, it's defenceless, it's ripe and ready for the taking uh, and without any complications, it's got no allies nearby, it's, it's good to go. We just need to go and take it. And they also say, and by the way, 
on the way, we'll go past this guy named Micah's house and he's got some tasty gods, well, idols, and even a priest. How about we pick them up on the way? And so they say um, to, to the people, the Danites who sent the spies out, they say, uh, when you get there, you'll find an unsuspecting people and a, a spacious land that God has put into our hands, a land that lacks, lacks nothing whatever. God has put it there. Obviously, the priest said, we've got God's approval. It's good. It looks good. Take it. Eat it. Consume it. Didn't the Lord say that he was going to give us some land? Now, does that remind you of something? Yeah, God did say he was going to give them some land, but just not that land. It's the land over there that the Amorites are still living on. And, and what's more, it's a bit of a sales pitch as well, uh, because if you go to Israel now, you can see where this city Laish is. There's ruins of the, the city Dan and the, the worship they set up. You can go and see it right now. And it's not exactly a broad, spacious land. It's a bit of a narrow valley. Sure, it's probably better than the rocky hills that they're living on, but it's a bit of a sales pitch. But they buy it, and off they go. 600 armed men off um, to, to, to move in and take over this city. And they stop, by at, um, they stop by at Micah's house on the way. So we read from 1822 um, this. Um, when they had gone... Uh, Sorry, we, they stopped by Micah's house on the way and, um, and convinced the Levite to come with them. Remember that in the story? Convinced the Levite to come with them. Um, you know, you've chosen not to sort of be the priest of God at Shiloh. You've chosen to be a priest for just one household. That's something. But, hey, be a, be a priest for the whole tribe. That's even better. The priest goes, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, no different, really. Worshipping God wrongly in one place or not worshipping God at all worshipping God wrongly or not worshipping God at all with a whole crew of people who actually think that I'm doing a great job. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Off, off you go. Interestingly, at, at, the, at, the, at the front of this uh, story where the, the 600 men turn up at Micah's house, um, they greet the priest and quite literally they say, they inquire about the priest's peace. How, how's your peace going? And the priest probably is thinking, well, it was going pretty well until 600 um, men camped on the front lawn but anyway um, I'll go with you and then we read this funny sort of interaction um, with with um, what happens after they take the idols take the ephod take the priest and off they're going to take uh, Laish and and we see this when they had gone some distance from Micah's house the men who lived near to Micah uh, were called together and overtook the Danites as they had shouted after them and the Danites turned and said to Micah, What's the matter with you that you've called out your men to fight? He replied, You took my gods, the gods that I made, and my priest, and you went away. Now, he probably didn't have a voice like that, but it is pretty whiny, really. You know, you took my gods. What else do I have? How can you ask? What's the matter with you? Now, here's the other thing. I don't know about you, but as I think about what defines a deity, what defines a god, being subject to burglary doesn't usually cut the mustard. It's not usually one of the, the characteristics of a god. If your god can be stolen, it's no god at all. If your god can be stolen, it's no god at all. Now, Micah, you know, 
he, he does think it's a God. He obviously thinks that this is a substitute for Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel. But if your God can be stolen, it's no God at all. Now, we might kind of look at this and say, oh, silly Micah, silly Micah. We know God. We know what he's like. He's not, not, you don't find God in an, in, in an image or an idol that's made by a silversmith. Silly Micah. It's foolish, foolish Micah. Let me encourage you not to be too quick to judge. What is it in your life that you might use similar religious language for? If there are things in your life that can be stolen, that you invest so much in, that become the most important thing, that you talk even about, I sacrificed so much to get that sporting prowess or that career, they may have captured your heart in such a way that you're exactly where Micah was and you may have even dressed them up in religious uh, overtones. But if your gods can be stolen by you know, outrageous ill fortune, by the sins of other people, by a pandemic, it's no God at all. And in fact, there's one thing that will steal all of those things that might find a place in our heart before God that will steal everything away in the end, and that's death. So if there's anything in your life that you so value that if death takes, death takes it away, your death, that is, your life you know, basically doesn't have any meaning, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it is an idol in your life. What is it that drives you? What gives you purpose? What gives you meaning? What is it that if somebody took it away from you, you would be devastated and your whole life would be different. Now, I'm not talking about harder because if you lose family, home, job, all those things that we've seen people in our communities losing over this last uh, you know, 18 to 24 months, I'm not saying that's easy, but if those things take the place of God in your life, drive you, drive you, then, well... Death will take them away eventually, and they aren't gods. Well, Micah turns around and um, you know, uh, you know, says this. What else do I have? And it reminds me of at this moment about another person who turned and said, "Where else have we to go?" You see, we often say, and it is so true here at Soul Revival, that Jesus changes everything. The king has come. The king that was missing in, in Israel, that they were longing for, has come. And, and there was a moment where the disciples of Jesus in John chapter 6, um, th there's a question about whether they'll stick with Jesus because he's not the sort of king they thought he would be. He's not the sort of um, king that Micah wanted. You know, I'm pleased God, the vending machine God is now going to give me the goodies. It's going to be right. I've got, my, I've got my household gods. I've got my priest. I've got my, I've got my ephod all going to be good it's not that sort of god right and and the disciples say to jesus well peter in particular says uh, to jesus where else have we to go lord you have the words of eternal life see in jesus we not only find god come to us but we find a king who will not just lay before us the law but will change our hearts so that we might be able to keep the law. 
so that all those things that were going wrong that we've seen through 17 and 18 in Judges might be a possibility for us to live well in the land that God has given us. Now, there's been a lot of stealing going on here, and it's driven the story, hasn't it? Micah stole from his mum. The Danites stole from Micah. The Danites stole Laish, stole from the people that were there. But that's not the end of the story. And you see it just at the end of uh, chapter 18, where it talks about um, the Danites setting up this new, new town there, and they call it Dan. As I said, uh, it's, you can still see it today, the, the ruins of, um, it's called Tel Dan now. Um, but, but it says at the end there that um, the Danites set up for themselves an idol, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, uh, Jonathan, son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests for the tribe of Dan uh, until the time of the captivity of the land. Um, I think I've got it there. Yeah. No. Is that right? Yeah. Mm. Yes, there it is. Now, remember I talk, said that there's a bit of stealing going on here? Well, there's one more, there's one more stealing to happen. And it happens not by the Israelites, but it happens um, by another power, another power. The Assyrian uh, king, um, Tiglash-Pileser III, I think his name is, and he rocks in from what is now Syria over the Golan Heights and he takes Dan and he kills all the Danites, well, most of them, any that are left there get taken off into captivity. So... The Danites think that they've done a good deal. This broad land, they've, they've got rid of the other people. It's not where God said they should live, but they've done a good deal and they're living peacefully. But God has other things in mind. You see, often if we think that, um, that we can achieve our purposes not by following faithfully to the way that God has set up for us to live, we might, we might actually achieve some of those things. But in the end... God has other things in mind. And so the Danites have their land stolen from them, their lives, their possessions, everything about them, and they're sent into captivity. And more than that, although this place is still called Dan today, the Danites are kind of written out of the rest of scriptures in a very significant way. So much so that when you get to the end of the Bible in Revelation, and remember that great scene where you have the 144,000? And you have the different tribes of Israel listed there. Who's missing? The Danites are not listed in those tribes. They're not there. They've kind of been expunged. God has almost said, okay, I am going to hand you over to the way that you want to live, to the sinful desires of your heart. If you want to make your own way without me, if you don't want to worship me as I want to be worshipped, if you just want the goodies but not the God, so be it. And they're written out of God's plans and purposes. They're written out of God's plans and purposes. They lived by, 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 by stealing stuff and they died by being stolen. Now we might again think foolish, foolish Danites. But I think for us, who live in this land as a result of our colonial past, 
there's a, there's a moment to pause here. For when white people came to this land, they had an image of God that was white and male and didn't make room for the indigenous inhabitants, the First Nations people. We dispossess them. Is it really so inconceivable that some point in the future that a greater power than us might come and dispossess us of this land that we now claim as our own? And what would we say? What ethical justification would we give for that? You can't do that. You can't take that. Why? Now, you didn't take the land. I know that. You've probably, as I have, earned good money to pay a little bit of the mortgage. You know, it, it, you, you're, you're not culpable. But that we aren't culpable in that way doesn't mean that we shouldn't be thinking about what justice will look like given that we benefit from the dispossession of the land of the people who first God set as the, their land and put the boundaries around them. Jesus makes true reconciliation possible and I'd encourage you to listen to the podcast with Michael Duckett um, if you want to kind of explore that even a little bit more. What would we say to all of this? What, have, what does all of this mean? There's a lot of thoughts that I've tossed out there. I've tossed out some thoughts about what are idols in your life. I've tossed out some thoughts about sort of that indiscriminate non-keeping of the law and whether or not we might do the same and dress it up in religious terms. But I want to finish by um, reminding us of the king who has come. For there was no king in Israel and everybody did as they saw fit. But we do have a king who we follow. And, and our king isn't a king that will be um, respectable or respected in the world. Our king is the sort of king who would show us what God is really like. Not just out to get those who don't follow him, but love to the nth degree those who are his enemies. He would go to the cross, betrayed, abandoned, mocked, scorned, excluded by the respectable of the world. He doesn't live for comfort like Micah was seeking to do. No, he suffers in order to save others. For the joy set before him, he persevered and endures the cross. So if our life choices lead to Laish, to the broad city where it's easy and we can make our way even though it's not where God said we should be, the question for us is, am I truly following Am I truly following the crucified God or am I following a God that I've constructed and maybe dressed up even in religious terms in my own mind? Am I faithfully following God to the inheritance that he's laid out to become more like Jesus, to love and to serve one another, God and our neighbours as Jesus did? Have I got God truly embedded in my heart or have I got a whole lot of little gods who could be stolen and maybe even dressed up in religious terms? What is the land that I long for? Where is my home? Is it with Christ in his presence? Or is it here in the 
God's country. Isn't that interesting? The Shire. It is our home. And it's where God has placed us. But we are aliens in this land. This is not our inheritance. We're put here to serve God and lead others to him. For in his son, Jesus Christ, God perseveres for us. He's obedient through suffering that we might receive salvation. He sees the easy way in the garden. He could have just walked away from the cross, but for the joy set before him and us, he endures the cross. He, he, he was tempted by Satan at various points. Ah, yeah, you're God. Yeah, you can have all the kingdoms. No, 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 don't, don't worry about that cross thing. You can have it all. Look, make this stone into a bit of bread. You can do it all, Jesus. You don't need to serve. He was tempted in every way. But for your sake and my sake, he followed what God had for him to do. He didn't take the easy way to Laish. He followed God's command to the end. There was no king in Israel, but here at Soul Revival, God has been gracious enough to reveal Jesus, our king. Who will you follow? Where will your heart be? What will that mean for you tonight, this week, and for the rest of your life? Our Lord and King Jesus, we stand in awe and wonder of your majesty, but also your love and mercy. We thank you that you have captured many of our hearts and by your spirit you're transforming us, not to be self-centred, but we do know that our hearts still need much work. So if there are things in our lives that we put before you, careers, family, possessions, whatever they may be, little idols that can be stolen away. Help us to put them in the right spot. Help us not to um, think less of the good things that you're uh, giving us, but help us to see them as ways that, and means where we can serve you and lead others to you. Jesus, you do indeed change everything, and you did that on the cross by, and by your resurrection. May you capture our hearts that we might not be like your people of old, who even though they had been gifted this land, turned away from you so quickly. Help us to continually fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus. And we pray this, knowing that you are able to answer our prayers and save us from ourselves, as you have already done on the cross.